Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground. The three spooked girls. Hey there, spooksters, and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica, and as always, I'm joined by my favorite gal pal, Tara. Hey, spooksters. Today we're going to be talking about one of those, like, this is one of those stories where it's like super tragic. We're going to be talking about Penhurst Asylum. If you don't know the story, it'll have the same feels as if you watched American Horror mm-hmm. Story Asylum. It's mm-hmm. going to have that same feel to it. So if that triggers, just know that that's what this episode is. Before we get into that, you can hang out with us on social media. Our handle is at Three Spooked Girls. So you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you want to hang out and interact with wonderful community of spooksters, our Facebook group is very active and I love it. And I love being able to see kind of the fun interactions that everyone has with one another and the threads and the book club and all of that stuff. It just mm-hmm. it makes my, my little black heart so happy. Right. So if you want to hang out in that group, you definitely can. That is going to be Three Spook Girls Official on Facebook. If you want to help support the show, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com backslash Three Spook Girls or click the link tree below and it'll take you there for a little as a dollar. You get a bonus episode each month and we have different content for different like tiers and different kind of goodies depending on which which one you, you are. So, I mean, we have Tara's like Haunted Grounds, which, okay. You know how I kept calling it Higher Grounds forever? Mm-hmm. I know why. Why? There was a show in the 90s called Higher Ground. And I think oh. in the back of my head, okay. and this is, I remembered this the other day because on the 90s nostalgia Facebook group I'm in, it like was like, does anyone know the name of the show? And I was like, Higher Grounds. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. So, yeah. Yeah. So if you want to see Tara's Haunted Grounds where she talks about haunted objects and caffeinated beverages, or not caffeinated, yeah, caffeinated beverages. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking like carbonation for some reason, like that's not right. (laughs) Definitely check it out. We have, like I said, different tiers. So yeah, definitely head over there. And we're going to take a quick promo break and then we will be back with the drink and then we will get right into Penhurst. Alcatraz opened in 1934. I arrived in 1935, and I'm still here. I'm Charlie the Bagman Baglin, and I'm dead. Tune in every fortnight to hear about some of the nastiest inmates The Rock has had. Learn about Alcatraz, about me, and the fun I have with ghost hunters. I'm behind you, Baggins. Episode 1 is about Al Capone, the banjo-playing, tax-dodging numpty. 
Join me, Charlie, from the 6th of October on Infernal Souls and Eternal Arseholes. Available on Acast, Spotify, and most other podcast players. Well, welcome back from that promo break. We hope you enjoyed it. Before we get into today's topic, we are going to talk about drinks. We're going to Pennsylvania. And for some reason, well, every time I talk to Tara about Pennsylvania, we always talk about like Hershey Land. <laughs> so Hershey, Hershey tra- Park, Hershey Park. Oh my get God, it right. is it not called Hershey Land? No, it's called Hershey Park. <laughs> I would think it'd be called Hershey Land. I feel like they're missing an opportunity here. Nah, girl. And they're like, no. Everyone in Pennsylvania right now is like, get out. Matt's going to be like, God damn it. What the fuck is Hershey Land? <laughs> I'm sorry, Matt. <laughs> so I thought I would do a chocolate drink. And my favorite chocolate Ooh. drink is a frozen mudslide because it's basically like a milkshake, but it's boozy, which, you know, I wish right now in my life I could have. It's just so much sugar, but it has Kahlua, Irish cream liqueur, vanilla ice cream, chocolate syrup, and whipped cream. You kind of blend stuff together the Kahlua Irish cream and vanilla then you top it with drizzle or if you're like me you put the chocolate into the blender as well to get it like nice and chocolatey I like it yeah and it's delicious and then you put whipped cream on top when I worked at Applebee's this was my favorite people be like I want something cold I'd be like get a mudslide and make it (laughs) mucho because then it's an upsell (laughs) (laughs) okay so we're gonna go right and head into Pennhurst State School and Hospital originally was called the Eastern Pennsylvania State Institute for the Feeble-Minded and Epileptic. I was like, oh, I didn't realize that being epileptic made you like that. I mean, I'm sure like some, I'm sure it's debilitating. I'm not saying it is. I know people who are, but they like also function in life. I think mm-hmm. depending on the severity, I don't think you can drive, but because if you were to have a seizure while driving, that might result in bad things. But mm-hmm. now with medication. So I didn't realize it was that big of a deal in the 1900s. So in 1903, the Pennsylvania legislation authorized the creation of the Eastern State Institution for the Feeble Mind and Epileptic. Yeah. So I don't even understand like how you become, quote unquote, feeble minded. Like what constitutes you? I don't know. But apparently there was a commission that was organized to look and see how many people in the state of Pennsylvania fit these categories. And then that's why it was placed where it is, because it was the closest to the largest population Mm. of those two groups. Mm -hmm. Here is a quote from the Preserve Pinhurst website and said it was a product of a self-proclaimed progressive era when the solution to dealing with the disabled was forced segregation and sterilization. Oh, right. Sterilization. Yeah, we're going to get into that in a little bit. So the buildings were constructed between or the first buildings, I should say, were constructed between 1903 and 1908. And the property was 633 acres around that almost 634 acres and located in Crab Hill in Springs City, Pennsylvania, which is in Chester County, which I was like, "Ooh, Chester County. And then I was like, (laughs) later in this, I was like, no. Because I'm from Chester, California. Like, that's where I was born. Mm -hmm. I claim nothing of this county because of this one thing. (laughs) (laughs) The buildings that were first built between 1903 and 1908 would later be referred to as the Lower Campus. And I took a lot of this straight from, like, the wiki because they outline the buildings really well. Mm -hmm. So the first few buildings, they did a girls' dining room. 
which was labeled Building F. And then G was the kitchen and H was the storeroom. And I think K was also girls' cottages. N was the boys' dining room. P was the teachers' home. QTU and V were cottages for the boys. And R was the school. W was laundry and sewing. And X was the powerhouse. This was before they named everything. They just gave them letters, which I actually thought was pretty genius. Like, go to Building A. Go to Building B. I was like, that's smart. Because then you don't have to remember the names. But then they did later. We'll go into those. P was temporarily used as an administrative building until the Institute opened its own in 1918. In 1921, Whitman and Wilson 1 and 2 were constructed along with Penn Hall for employee housing. In 1929, the assembly building was completed and functioned as a gymnasium and auditorium. Right. Mm -hmm. So the buildings in lower campuses that were labeled F-I-K-P-Q-R-N-U- VTWX all got renamed eventually. So they called one administration, one was Philadelphia, one was Quaker, Rockwell, Franklin, Nobel, Union, Venesis, I think that's how you say it, Industry, Penn, Devon, Mayflower, Limerick, Assembly, Storeroom, Laundry, Whitman, Wilson, One, Wilson, Two, and Hershey. Out of those, Rockwell, Noble, Franklin, and Hershey were all demolished in 2020. The upper buildings would eventually be called Persing or Pressings, Buchanan, Keystone Capital, and Horizon. There were other buildings outside of those ones I just mentioned, and that was the Powerhouse, the Treatment House, the Director's House, the Greenhouse, and the Dairy Farm. The older buildings were designed by Philip H.J. Johnson, and they were two stories made of red brick terracotta and granite, the trimming was. They were connected by a fireproof tunnel walkways on top of the tunnels for use for transporting residents. They referred to them as residents and not patients. The buildings were designed to provide a large number of small rooms occupied by one or two beds and a few dormitories that had like eight to ten beds in them. And then like a large day room where people could go and exercise and gather and, you know, I think of, what is it, 51st dates when they're in like, you know, like that kind of a room. So on November 23rd, 1908, Penhurst accepted its first patient or residence and thus began doing business. The institution would quickly become overcrowded. In fact, it only took four years. And this was due to the fact that there was outside pressure to not just take in the feeble-minded and the epileptic, but also to start admitting immigrants, orphans, and criminals, which I was like, no. <laughs> Like, I kind of feel like those all need their own separate things. Immigrants can live in housing, regular out their people. They're fully functioning. Orphans probably need, like, foster homes or or orphanage. And criminals need prison. And they were sorted by several different types of classifications. So, like, each person would have, like, three different classifications. You either were considered, like, an imbecile or insane. You were either considered epileptic dick or healthy or you could either be considered for your dental good poor or treated teeth so Mm -hmm. i think like when they would look these were the these were the only classifications like that you were lumped into but with this by 1912 people were starting to question what feeble-minded meant and the institution became under fire in 1916 the board of trustees basically wanted to start construction on cottages specifically for women to segregate them from men because they were trying to prevent pregnancy. This was completed in the 1930s and this is where like the upper campus was. So like some of the buildings we talked about earlier. I mean, I get it. 
unsupervised, people will mingle. And if you're already having like an overcrowded situation, you're probably not also going to want to have a bunch of infants born into it. So basically what would happen is the board of trustees would get these like biannual reports and they'd like read them and then they'd like make these decisions based off of the numbers that were in there. And sometimes the reports wouldn't really reflect what was going on or correctly. So they were like, oh, we have like 1,200 girls. But the reality is they had like 2,400 girls or women. So we're going to jump back in time to 1913. This has kind of irritated the shit out of me. Legislators appointed a commission for the care of the feeble-minded, which stated that the disabled were unfit for citizenship and posed a menace to the peace and thus required a program of custodial care. So if somebody thought you were like a feeble-minded, you could essentially be like, I think the word is backeracted. I think that's the word I'm looking for. I heard Nancy Grace talk about it with Britney Spears once. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. (laughs) That might not be the exact words. But, like, literally, like, they could just be like, you, I think you're feeble-minded. Thank you. You're going to go here now. And you don't have, you don't have any rights. Jesus. Hmm. So, yeah, the commission would just go around and evaluate people. And the Pennhurst chief physician was quoted saying, and his name is Henry H. Goddard. And he was a eugenicist, which a eugenicist is someone who... To explain it, basically, what it is, is like they wanted to take those who were disabled and sterilize them without their knowledge or their consent. And so he said, every feeble-minded person is a potential criminal. The general public, although more convinced today than ever before that it is a good to segregate the idiot or the distinct imbecile, they have not as yet been convinced as to the proper treatment of the defective delinquent, which is brighter and more dangerous individuals. Like, holy fucking shit. That's a doctor. This whole place. Oh, my God, y'all. You're going to learn. It's so fucked. So fucked. And, like, I watched this one video on, like, it, and I had to stop watching it because it was, like, changing how I was feeling mentally. Like, how Mm -hmm. I was feeling, like, really, like, angry. And basically what they did is they went into these towns where they were, like, putting these type of places or close to these kind of centers or hospitals or schools. And they would put up this attraction and people would come in and they would see all of the classifications of what was handicapped and everything and, like, what could happen. And they would display this. And and mm-hmm. there were all these different booths that you'd go to and they would tell you these things. And, and basically at the end, they were like, do you support us? evaluating people and taking them away and people were signing the petition to say yes which is how it became legislation oh my god and you know anyone they could just be like a woman speaking out of turn oh she's feeble-minded let's sterilize her and this this is something they were actually trying eugenicists were trying to tell people that if we sterilize anyone who has a disability we will eliminate it from the breeding population and therefore it will be quote unquote bred out so we won't have disabled people anymore jesus and people were like well that seems like a good idea that way people don't have to like i could see where like someone would get brainwashed right be like this seems like a good idea because then you know someone wants because like they're not showing you know the people that they're just calling feeble-minded they're they're showing people with like severe disabilities Mm -hmm. So when they're showing those individuals, people are like, well, of course they're suffering. Why would we not want to? It was totally a manipulation. Mm. (sighs) So because of this, 
these type of institutions became really popular. And in fact, Pennhurst had annexes, which were in two different, like two different areas of like Pennsylvania. So they weren't necessarily like there on the Pennhurst. One, I believe, was in Scranton and the other one was or is in Whitehaven, which is near Scranton. And then the other one was like just west of Gettysburg. They were basically abandoned tuberculosis sanitarium. Mm-hmm. So they were able to get these probably pretty cheap. They were probably pretty run down because they those weren't kept up. And I'm not sure if they've retrofitted them with like windows because we talked about in the past with sanitariums like not having windows because they wanted the, the fresh air is how they were carrying them. So I don't know. And they transferred hundreds of residents to these new facilities. And so at one point, including those two annexes, they had over 4,100 people in their care. And they did not have the staff for it whatsoever. And so basically in 1961, the two annexes spun off and became their own schools. It was the Hamburg School and the Whitehaven School, State Schools. And I like that they call them schools. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't understand this, like, school thing. Because, like, they really weren't teaching them, like, simple, basic things. Right. So now we're kind of into the 60s. In 1968, the conditions at Pennhurst were, like, so horrible that this local, like, TV correspondent by the name of Bill Baldini, I think he's how we going to say his name. He did a five-part TV series on it. So basically, it painted a negative light in the abuse at this institute. And a lot of people were, like, mortified by this. This was, like, 1968. They were like, oh, my God, like, how could somebody be living in the squalor? And this is, like, if you remember, like, Asylum, how they show the video. I mean, these people were just living in, like, oh, it was was so bad. You would see, like, full-grown people just being, like, bound and strapped down to what they called adult crib beds. Inmates, or they called them inmates of the institution, were shown rocking and pacing and switching. Many of the disabled, both mentally and physically, but many of them were lucid and could, like, understand what was going on around them. But because of the overstimulation of, like, the loud and the crazy and, like, the... Because people were, like, screaming. and, And I also think, like, being overly medicated, it, like, was too stimulating for them. So they just, like, withdrew within themselves. One of the the patients that was there, the interviewer asked him, like, what do you want out of life or in this world? And they basically, the patient said to get out of Pennhurst mm-hmm. because it was that bad. Mm. Yeah. So I took this straight from the preserve, because there is a preservation or preserve Pennhurst mm-hmm. website. And there's a whole like group of individuals yeah. who are just like, mm-hmm. this is Eels. from their website. This is the quote. This is like they're telling this. It's like under the history part. It says. Despite the obstacle institutionalized institutionalization presents, many of the Pennhurst residents found ways to prosper. They lived lives of inner dignity and grace. Oh, and God. then I love that it continues on to say, in an ammonia wash world designed to strip that dignity from them. I'm like, who the fuck says shit like this? This is like on their website. Oh, my God. They want to preserve this place. And they're like, okay, one, we're going to say they were really great. And then the other one is no. And then they went on to say, this is especially true for the individuals who made up the working patient group. Day in and day out, they proved their worth helping to care for their worse off peers by assisting the paid staff in nearly every aspect of Pennhurst life. And I like that they said the paid staff because they were working, the patients were working, but they were not paid. They were fucking free labor. Jesus. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's horrifying. 
So like we said, some of the residents of Penhurst had jobs and they would either be like making mattresses, shoemaking or repair. I don't know what grading is. That's just something they put. And they said farming, laundry, domestic duties, sewing, baking, butchering, painting, and working in the store. I was like, they have a fucking store there. People are coming and buying shit. Like, this is not right. All right. No, no. This place is like legit horrifying. And it was, and the thing is, it was like really bad. And nobody, like, even though that there was this like five part series on the news, did anyone fucking show up? No, no one busted down that door and got those patients out and got them to better care facilities. They did not. They just let it kind of go their way. And now we're going to kind of start swinging into the direction of people giving a shit. In 1977, U.S. District Judge Raymond Broderick ruled that the conditions at Pennhurst State School violated patients' constitutional rights. That it did. So basically, a lawsuit was filed on May 30th of 1974 Mm -hmm. by a Philadelphia attorney by the name of David Fernledge, and he was representing one of the patients. Now, that patient's name was Terry Lee Halderman. I think that's how we pronounce it. I'm sorry, guys. I'm horrible at names. And she was a resident, and there were multiple times where she was abused and Her family kind of like mentioned it, but it wasn't until she had like a home visit with her family and they had all these unexplained bruises. And I think Terry was like scared to say why she had all the bruises that it kind of came out. So they launched this and they went in and they found out how unsanitary it was and things of that nature. And they just kind of went in and they were like, holy shit, this place is horrible. And mm-hmm. so they filed the lawsuit. They were saying that it was violating their 8th and 14th Amendment rights because Penhurst was considered cruel and unusual punishment. So the court ruled this because of these reasons. So there's there's a lot. I might not read all of them, but I will read some of them for you. One of the big ones that stood out to me, and this is on, again, the website for the Preserve Penhurst. They list this. Often there was no psychiatrist or actually there were no psychiatrists at night or over the weekend. So if you were a patient and you had a breakdown in the middle of the night, you would Mm -hmm. be left until morning because there was no one there who could actually help you. Or Mm -hmm. if it like, let's say it was Friday night, you'd have to wait till Monday morning. Right. Oh, God. Pinhurst, they would often use restraints as a way to like subdue their patients, but they would also do this. When there wasn't enough staff, they would, like, restrain people because it was a way to keep them contained. Oh, my God. And they would either do this physically or chemically. So they'd either, like, jack them up on meds so that they were basically immobile or they would physically, like, restrain them to their beds and seclusions in their room. And, like, if they did it chemically, it was, like, tranquilizing drugs. Seclusion rooms were used as a punishment for aggressive behavior. There was an 18-year-old who spent six days consecutively in seclusion in 1974 for assaulting another member or another resident. Mm -hmm. That's a long time, especially if you're dealing with something like like mentally, like to be alone for six days. Like that's, I I can't even imagine being alone for six days. They would also, like I mentioned, put them in restraints when they were short-staffed. In June of 1976, one resident was restrained for 651 hours and five minutes. That was like one person was restrained for that long. Yeah. Another one in August of 1976 was restrained for 70 or 720 hours. And then there's several other kind of examples that they would just leave them. I mean, I don't even know how many days that is. That's a lot. Yeah. I don't have Siri or I don't have Alexa in my office right now, so I can't ask her. 
but that's a shit ton of days just to be like sitting like to be restrained and not be able to do anything and they're not the cleanest so like if you're restrained you're just there the psychotropic drugs that Pennhurst used were used for control and not treatment and they say that the units given were extremely so so high they shouldn't have been given I mean, there's just like countless times that they like talk about these things. They also talk about how like with the student or with the residents there, like they would say like, oh, we do teach them like life skills. Like some of them didn't know how to use like Mm. the bathroom before. So they would teach them how to use like the bathroom. But then they would just not let that like the toilets would not be cleaned. They wouldn't be in functioning order. There would be like no soap or towels or anything in the bathroom. So like if you learned that skill you're going to regress because why would you go to the bathroom in a toilet when you could just go on the floor because it's almost the same thing. Mm -hmm. Essentially, they won their case, not Pennhurst. And they told Pennhurst they needed to close down, but there were still patients who lived there. There was like, I think over a thousand. So they had to like slowly. So that happened in 1978 that they were basically told like, you need to shut down and like, because like you're horrible. So it took them that long. Like the judge said that final like lawsuit was closed in April of 1985 and Pennhurst would close in 1987. From what I've seen in pictures, the grounds look beautiful. Like the the buildings were beautiful. So they didn't go to waste. The upper campus is actually, I don't know if it still is, but at one point in time, it became part of the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. So the VA which I thought was kind of cool. And they basically like when they came in and they like did their renovations in like 1990, they just like renamed everything. So it wasn't necessarily the same. And then a congressman actually wanted the whole of Pennhurst. Like I guess in 2003, he was pushing for it to become a vet, like a federal veterans cemetery. But they were like, no, thank you. Congress apparently was said, no, thank you. Yeah. So it's just kind of like one of those things where it's kind of changed hands. At one point in time, it was sold privately to some developers. And then the Pennhurst Memorial and Preservations Alliance. What the fuck are you like? What are you trying to preserve? The buildings? Like, okay, I get that. Like, please just be the buildings. Like, stop. Yeah. The memorial is what creeps me out. Right. They basically were like fighting it because they were like, you can't sell this. So it kind of went back and forth. At some point, it was a like they had recycling and they were doing composting and food waste services there, which I thought was pretty cool. On April 10th of 2010, a historical marker to Pennhurst was put and it was dedicated on Route 724. So, yeah, as if I can tell right now, it seems like the VA is still there, like a part of the campus, which I think is cool. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. But in 2020, like I said, they tore down Hershey Rockwell and the dietary halls because they were considered unsafe. So that happened between March and November. And then on June 28th of 2020, apparently a heavy metal band, I don't know this band, it's called Motionless in White, performed there, which (laughs) I was like, that's kind of cool. Like. You know, if you're into heavy metal, which sometimes I am, depending on the band, if they're good. Mm-hmm. Just thought yeah. that was cool. And they did like a streaming concert. So I thought that was fun. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. Attention all men across the universe, all the way from Australia to Houston. Do you have a pube problem? If so, our friends at Manscaped have cleared you for takeoff with their fourth generation and brand new lawnmower 4.0. 
kick your pubes to the next planet with the Performance Package 4.0. The orbits in his pants will feel like they're in zero gravity when he uses the best tools for the job from the leaders in male grooming. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped to get their rocket ready for takeoff by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code SPOOKEDGIRLS. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a travel bag to hold his whole solar system. Make sure he uses the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and their Crop Reviver to help his little planets be their A-game while feeling the sun's heat. And better yet, Manscaped even threw in two for gifts with their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag which you know we love those boxers. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code SPOOKEDGIRLS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping with the code SPOOKEDGIRLS at manscaped.com. His space balls will thank you. So now I'm going to hand it over to Tara, and she's going to tell us that now that I've told you all about the crazy past that's there, she can tell you about all the haunts that are there. Okie dokie. All right. Well, I... There's just, it's interesting with these haunts sometimes. Sometimes it's very easy to find the hodgepodge of ghosts and other times it's a little more difficult. But basically, I kind of went about it going by either building or like group of buildings, that kind of thing with this. Mm -hmm. And y'all know I fucking watch Ghost Adventures. Let's just get that out of the way. We know I watch that because I watch it almost every time I can. <laughs> but y'all will appreciate this because this is like old school <gasps> ghost adventures. This is season four. Like Nick was still there. <gasps> and Zach was in all black. Yes. The big poofy like yeah. tight pants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. The good old days. The good old days. So basically, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to break it down per building and then we're going to talk about some of the stuff going on now, which is really interesting, especially for any uh, Pennsylvania spooksters that are listening. Okay, so let's talk about the Hershey building. And now I can only think about Hershey Land. (laughs) Fucking Jessica. God damn it. Everybody, like seriously, right now, everybody in Pennsylvania is just screaming at me. No, it's not Hershey Land. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. I did it for in you. In California, we name things land. I know, but no, not there. <laughs> anyway, so at the Hershey building, the property manager, his name is Greg. And he said that one day he was talking to one of the contractors and the contractor's son was there as well. His son's an adult. He was 21 at the time. Mm-hmm. And the son, his name's Clay, he interrupts our conversation and he's like, hey, somebody's up there in the building. And they see a figure, like a person's silhouette, and the curtains pull open like somebody's looking through. And then they shut and then they can't see them. Well, they're like, nobody else should be here right now. Everything was Mm -hmm. locked up. You know, they're doing stuff. I think it was a Sunday. It was a weekend, I think. And so they're like, we need to go see who the fuck's up here, right? So they go up there and literally, you know, like nothing. And, the, you know, what makes it more creepy is, of course, they tell Zach this when they're filming there. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, let's go up there and look, you know, like all this stuff. And when they get up there, there's actually no physical way to touch the curtains there's this like metal mesh stuff covering it i'm Stop assuming it. it was yeah i'm assuming it was there so like people couldn't open up windows and stuff you know and oh, yeah. 
Greg is like, what the fuck? Uh, we didn't even bother really looking at the windows because we were trying to find a person and be like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> you know? Right. So he was freaked out because Greg and Clay were both huge skeptics of paranormal stuff. They literally thought somebody was there just messing around and then somehow got, you know, snuck out of there and left. Right. Like got caught. So he's like, you know what? Let me call this contractor and get a hold of Clay and let Clay come tell you this because he was just like freaked out. So flash forward, Clay comes and they're like, <laughs> Greg's like, hey, Clay, look at this. And he's like, what? He's like, what the fuck? You can't remove it or nothing? And they were just both so blown away. And it was so funny because, of course, Zach does like this cheesy, like a rare moment where we're seeing two men. <laughs> finally believe in the paranormal for the first time i'm like jesus oh god zach sometimes (laughs) i'm so so glad zach has come such a long way with his tv performances like his tv appearances yeah but there's something about old classic zach (sighs) it's great it's great (laughs) there has also been reports in the infirmary that people have heard the sound of someone throwing up and it was actually caught on video. Oh. Yeah, it's really weird. It's interesting. A lot of times this happens in the operation room or you're in the operation room and it kind of sounds, in the video clip I saw of one group's encounter, it sounded like they were in a different room almost. It's just mm. weird. I was like, oh gosh, poor ghost. Just stuck puking forever. It also makes me think of Ron Weasley when he's puking up the slugs. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Uh, Now, the next kind of little area is kind of like a hodgepodge of three different things. So there's the Mayflower building. There's the tunnel system that's underneath this and underneath Quaker Hall. And it's really creepy, as you would expect. Now, (laughs) for ghost adventures, they get a lot of activity, like way more than normal. So... In real time, and then also in EVPs only, they get recordings of laughs, disembodied voices that are male and female. They have a male voice pick up that says, go away, when Nick asks, do you like us being here? Aww. I know. And when they also hear the word hello in a little girl voice. And when Zach addresses her directly after this and says, hey, we have this doll. They brought like a baby doll they for her. Like, hey, we brought this baby doll for you. If you want to play with it or what have you, you know, that kind of thing. We're not here to hurt you. Instantly after he starts talking directly to her, they have this little handheld thing that shows the temperature of the area they're in. It drops 10 degrees. And he just, they just say like, it's an instant chill, like through their bodies. Like so crazy. They also in these areas pick up random footsteps. Sometimes they're running. Sometimes they're not. And a voice that says, get out. They really don't like him in his pants. They really don't want want the parachute pants here or whatever. (laughs) But there's also the sound of footsteps again on the third floor of the Mayflower building. And this is significant because somebody not Ghost Adventure you know, not on the team, they had a really creepy experience on this floor. So there's this girl named Brianna and her and her friends, they were doing an investigation because you can go do that if you want. And they were all sitting on the ground, you know, getting EVPs, what have you. And she looks over and she sees this full apparition of a little girl in a dress just staring at her. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if the apparition is like, it's, it reminds me of like Haunted Mansion. Can they see me? 
<laughs> oh my god and after this they're like uh we're gonna go to a different part now so like they got up and left because they're like fuck this shit and she said that after she had this interaction and she told them and stuff like they all felt depressed and their bodies started hurting like they had been thrown down a flight of stairs like getting all banged up like their body hurt everywhere. that little girl was just not happy that they left she wanted to watch what they were doing and she yes <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, that's one way. They interpret it as that was like her energy like she had went through, you know, oh, bad I like stuff. my story better. Yeah. It's not less depressing. <laughs> and back to the creepy tunnels. So Greg, the property manager, he said that anytime he was in there, it made him feel like there was somebody watching him. And he had a lot of times where it felt like a hand was on his shoulder just like chilling. I'm like, that's gross. And a lot of different like scary, strange noises, which also happens a lot when the Ghost Adventures team is down there. But then later in the episode, when they're down there, they get they there's a lot of like banging and they feel the same thing of someone following them. There's female screams we can hear. And there's a male voice that's hella creepy. He's like sweet and like says it in like super creepy voice. And mm-hmm. there's also what's interesting with that one is there's also a woman's voice in the background that's at the same time as him. But you can't really make out what she's saying. So, okay. I don't, yeah. And this will remember that picture I sent you of Zach earlier that I was like, I didn't know I was watching Star Trek. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So he was wearing this gadget machine thing when they were in Quaker Hall and it was supposed to be used to communicate with spirits. So the thing on his eyes was like these goggle type of things, but it literally looks like the guy with the, I don't even know what that thing's called because I've never really paid attention to Star Trek. The thing that goes across his eyes. Isn't his name Vision? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. (laughs) Again, this episode, people are just screaming. That's not right, Jessica. (laughs) No, you're fine. Yeah. Like, so he has stuff like that on his eyes. Hopefully, I'll keep the screenshot and I can just post it for you guys too to see. And then he has this other thing that's connected to it. And the only way I can really describe it is kind of like a laser gun type of thing. I don't know what it is exactly. But basically... This thing, it's one of those gadgets that we see sometimes on these shows where it populates a word from their like little database oh, and then it says yeah. the word. It's one of those things. I don't remember I like what they Yes, I don't remember what it's called. So Zach has it on. He's walking around with it on in Quaker Hall and it says hit. And they're like, hit, okay, whatever. And then so they're, you know, tooting along and whatever. And literally this old piece of what looks to me like a coat rack type of thing like the stick part with the little Mm -hmm. hook things comes out of nowhere hits zach and scratches up his torso on his side like pretty bad because at first he's like oh that hurt but like i feel okay but they pull his shirt up to look and he's bleeding Oh, God. Yeah. And, you know, it's super it's like pitch black. So they're like, oh, gosh, maybe one of us made it fall. Like, holy shit, my bad. But no, it was. So they're coming around a corner and it's on the other side of the corner, like propped up. So it straight up just moved a lot. I mean, he was warned. He was warned you were going to get hit. That's what like he said after two. He's like, holy shit. Or no, he didn't even point it out. Somebody else, I think Nick pointed it out or Aaron did. And they were like, the thing literally said hit and then you got hit. And he's like, oh, fuck. (laughs) I wonder if it was like one entity warning him that another entity was going to hit him. (laughs) No, pretty much. Don't go around the corner. Bad things. 
Pretty much, pretty much. And then he gets kind of mad because he's like, we're being nice to you. <laughs> they don't care. They don't care, Zach. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, Zach, it's not you. It's it's the fact that they were tortured before, the, you know. Right. And then, oh, my God. Like I said, pitch black, right? I felt so bad. So they're going because they only mm-hmm. have because it's it's an old season, like I said. So they only have this little viewfinder through their cameras that their camcorder things that they're holding, right? Mm-hmm. Nick just eats shit. He falls over a chair and he falls into this. He falls on the ground and there's a bunch of broken glass there. So he gets all cut up on his arm and stuff. I felt so bad. He was fine, but I felt so bad. I was like, damn, y'all are getting beat up. This is the episode where everyone's like, I really hope they have tennis shots. Right? Oh, my God. Oh, so bad. But he was okay. (laughs) And then... Also in Quaker Hall, to kind of scoot away from ghost adventures for a second, I found an article on this place from Weird New Jersey, and they do an investigation with the with a team, and they report seeing numerous shadow figures mm-hmm. throughout the area, and they said as well that it was a small female child so the little girl's popping up again and they go into more detail they say she had long black hair she was hunched over with long dangling arms and the upper portion of these other shadow figures bodies just kind of like look over or around things that are you know there in real life Like, it's just kind of creepy. They also talk about doors and rocking chairs moving by themselves when no one's there, which there's a couple times where doors either sound like they're trying to open or they slam when Zach and them are there. So that happened for them as well. With the weird New Jersey team, someone was shoved from behind on a stairway and they had a deep red mark on their back. And then another and then someone from the paranormal investigation team that they were with got scratched on the arm. And this person was not by any object, by any of the walls, nothing crazy. Yeah. They also reported that objects were propelled in the basement, such as a pry bar, some sort of brass fixture and a bunch of other unknown objects. And they also got a bunch of EVPs and things like that as well. They had a psychic medium with them named Sharon Pugh, and Sharon had reported she felt multiple energies there, including either a demonic force or a past life that wasn't a very nice person. So that's scary. And they also saw more apparitions. In the Limerick building, they saw one of a woman in an old-style nurse's uniform. So that was weird. And also there was a couple other, like they said one was looked like a firefighter, a police officer, and a Marine. Oh. Yeah, very specific, but you know, what have you. On top of like the voices and stuff, this reminded me of Smurls, actually. They said they heard toilets flushing, mm. even though there's no running water. So I was like, oh, that reminded me of Smurls a little bit. <laughs> it's and yeah, and then in the Hershey building, they heard a little girl's voice on the third floor. Same floor. That makes so, sense. Right? So, yeah. And then kind of the last creepy thing that I want to mention, because there's just there's so much activity here. Like, Ghost Hunters, I believe, as well, has also done an investigation here that you could watch an episode on. But the last thing that I was like, holy fucking shit, was Zach and I believe is Greg were interviewing outside of the Rockwell building and they hear this really loud bang. And they're like, what the fuck? Because it's coming from inside the building and 
it's one of those lockdown styles where they lock them in the building type of thing. So Uh-oh. everybody else was gone. So they're like, what the fuck was that? Right. So they go run. Zach right. goes running in his giant pants and <laughs> not tripping over his giant pants. Right. It's a skill. It's skill. A true skill. And they start looking. He's like, it sounded kind of like up. So they go up to the, I think it was the second floor. And they see this giant metal desk just like looked like it had been thrown. And they're like, um, that's not a common thing. And no. if this really did happen, like this is a really, really strong presence. And so they're looking. They're like, maybe it was already here, whatever. Like just, you know, yeah. what have you. But they find these scratch marks or skid marks on the ground that are fresh, pretty Mm. much. So they're like, holy fucking shit. So, yeah, there's just a lot of shit going on there. There's a lot of shit going on there. But in more kind of on the fun side of things. okay, let me just start off by telling y'all you can do regular tours here. They have a historical tour. They have a photography tour. Then they have paranormal investigation type tours, like either just at night or overnight ones. So there's that. But in spirit of spooky season, I wanted to tell you all, especially those who live right there, because Mm -hmm. y'all are hearing this if you're listening on published day on the 23rd. On the 28th, they have this thing called the Penhurst Asylum Horror Campout. Ooh. Uh-huh. And they have two different options you can do. So literally, think of like Friday the 13th and all of that shit, like a horror. It's like putting you in a horror movie because they have like <gasps> actors and everything. But they have one that's not that's for junior campers, quote, quote. And this is said <laughs> to be, yes. And this is said to be for a less extreme night, a lower level of intensity from our monsters. And then their senior campers, it said, who will be subjected to the full horror of a Penhurst Asylum. This is a full immersion experience. You literally camp in a tent. You bring your own tent and you stay all night. And there are areas, though, you can take a break in called the no scare zone. Oh, I would be in there all the time. (laughs) You're like, I'm just going to put my tent here. Fuck you guys. And they also have quests going on around. So that's really cool. I thought that was interesting. And basically, you show up, the gates open at 7 p.m. And then the gates will close at 8.30 p.m. So you got about an hour and a half if you're not on time to get there. And then you are there for the next 12 hours. The camp out ends at 8.30 a.m. the next day. So it's really interesting. Other things you get with this is obviously entrance to the asylum grounds, all of that, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it says, bring a tent, but take our word for it when we say, don't plan on sleeping. Oh, God. No. If I'm bringing a tent and I'm going to be outside, I'm going to be in the tent with a mag light going, stay the fuck away from me. Mm-hmm. Free parking. So that's nice. And um, they have a camp dinner, which you can do alter- alternative menu items for an additional oh. cost in case... Whatever they're serving ain't your thing. Marshmallows. There's a slideshow entertainment and camp activities. And then, of course, getting the shit scared out of you. (laughs) I just want the marshmallows and the camp activity. And then, like, I would be the person who's like, I'm going to hang out in the no scare zone and just interview people (laughs) as they come in. Honestly. Oh, my God. And right. It looks so cool. And then also when it's actually Halloween season, they do a haunted attraction in the asylum as well, which makes sense Makes sense and freaks me out because I'm like, oh my God, you have ghosts and then actors. <laughs> All <laughs> the things. Fuck. But yeah, and then it was really cool because I just got kind of curious and I was looking at like their Facebook page and it seems like 
they had a post from kind of recent. They help out with different like nonprofits and stuff in the mm-hmm. area. So I think that's really cool. They that's cool. Yeah, they had donated some stuff or one of the people that work there had put together these baskets for like moms to be and stuff like that. So I just thought that was really cool. You know, I'm sure a plenty of other places that do these kind of things at these historic haunted locations do these things, too. But we don't ever really see that, you know, so that was cool that I came across that. But it looks like a really neat place. So people local to Pennsylvania, check it out for us. Let us know. Or if you've been there, let us know if you've had experiences or how was it? But yeah. That's the spooky side of this place. I think the entire place is just the spooky side of this place. Oh, my God. Yeah. From the moment it opened to like now. But Mm. yeah. So with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we will see you back next time for a new one. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.